the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Paul, you know how he's going to get to Rome? On a ship, because he's been accused of something he didn't do wrong, to stand trial before Nero. But in the process, he's going to get to Rome. One way or another, God will accomplish his purposes in your life. may not always be a straight line and the easiest course, but God will always fulfill his promises in our lives. God's purposes for your life will prevail. In today's message from Pastor Gary, he shares with you that no matter what, God is for you. You might not always have the easiest path or straightest path to get to where you're going, but God's promises to you will come to pass. Pastor Gary explains that what God wants to do within your life will happen. No man can thwart the plans of the Lord. Rest, knowing that your life is in the hands of the Almighty. Continue to seek His face whenever you feel discouraged. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 25 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you want to really be able to defend your faith and speak about your relationship with Christ... Take some time maybe to write out your testimony or just as you're driving in your car, you know, on your way to work, rehearse. This is, this is my story. And I just want to kind of rehearse this so that I can share it with, with somebody when that moment presents itself. So just kind of talk it through as you're driving. People will turn and look at you talking to yourself. It's fine. All right. It's fine. Don't worry about it, but rehearse your testimony. Number four. Read good books on apologetics. Now, I'm going to give you six recommendations, all right? And this is just a a good way for us to become equipped. It's not a substitute for the Bible, but there's some good godly people out there who have written some good books. And so if you want to learn more about how to defend your faith, here's a list of six. I'm going to tell you the first one on the list, Christian Apologetics, an A to Z guide by Dr. Norman Geisler, is, I mean, it was required reading for me in Bible college. This is kind of, if you like kind of the deep textbook kind of stuff, okay, that's the first book, all right? But otherwise, the other books are great straight reads. One of the first books I was ever given on apologetics was the second book on the list, Jesus Among Other Gods by Ravi Zacharias. I can't recommend that enough. And by the way, Ravi Zacharias is called, within Christian circles, an apologist, An apologist doesn't mean he's going around saying he's sorry. He's an apologist because he's an expert in apologetics. 
You can YouTube stuff on Ravi Zacharias, and you can see him debating students at college campuses. It is awesome. He gets up and he, and he fields questions from, from you know, just a bunch of non-believers at a bunch of college campuses, and they throw hard questions at him. And this man is one of the, the most studied, scholarly, but very, very well-spoken, who can communicate in ways that are clear to understand the deep mysteries and profound truths of God. And so that is a great book, Jesus Among Other Gods. And again, I encourage you, YouTube Ravi Zacharias and watch some of the stuff that he, that he says on college campuses. More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. He wrote that book as a result of his own coming to faith after he investigated the claims of Christ for himself as a complete atheist and then wrote More Than a Carpenter many years ago. Then he wrote a follow-up book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I think actually there's a newer version out called New Evidence That Demands a Verdict, also by Josh McDowell. And then two books by Lee Strobel I recommend, uh, The Case for Christ and The Case for Faith. Great books by Lee Strobel. And he answers, you know, those hard questions when people start to say, well, if God was such a loving God, why is there so much suffering in the world? He answers some of those kind of tough questions that you get from people. Well, explain to me, you know, what happens to this to the person who's never heard, lives on some remote island in you know, South America? What about that person? You know? And a lot of times people will raise those issues, quite honestly, as a smokescreen because they don't want to be accountable themselves. So to deflect the issue about where they stand with, with the Lord, they'll always throw those kind of questions. Well, what about the guy on the island? Why don't you just stop worrying about the guy on the island and worry about yourself and where you stand in relation to the Lord? But that's where they're coming from, and that's where we need to meet them at. Uh, so I recommend these books if you want to take some time to check them out and, uh, and pick them up. If you really want to be serious about you know, being equipped a little bit more about defending the faith and, um, and you know, being able to, to share in defense of Christianity. Those are some great books I recommend. But here's the fifth one, and we must not overlook, rely on the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Luke 12, 11, Jesus said, do not worry about how to defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. And I'm sure many of us can give testimony to the fact that we were in certain situations, the opportunity presented itself, we kind of felt nervous, but we shared anyway, and God took the little bit that we said and turned it into something incredible, and he just used us as a vessel, and he gave us the words that we didn't really think we had, and, and wonderful results occurred because God, by his Spirit, will speak to us and through us. And so rely on the Holy Spirit. But um, those are just some basic things that I thought might be helpful in defending the faith. Let's go back now to see what Paul says here about his own personal defense. Verse 8. And Paul made his defense, I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? And Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews as you yourself know very well. Right? His, point, his point is, why do I need to go to Jerusalem? You know, you're the governor of this province. I'm standing before Caesar's court as it is, and, and it's a good thing that he says this, because again, there would have just been an ambush. So he says in verse 11, he says, if, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal 
to Caesar. Okay, now what is he doing here? He's invoking his right as a Roman citizen to go to the highest court. This, this would be like, you know, you failed at the circuit court level, you failed at the, you know, state Supreme Court level, so you're taking this all the way to the, to the U.S. Supreme Court. This, I'm going to Caesar himself and I'm going to appeal to Caesar. Verse 12 says, after Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar. All right. To Caesar, you will go. So they're going to send him to Rome, but not yet. Verse 13, a few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. All right. So who are these people? We have King Agrippa and Bernice. So this King Agrippa is Herod Agrippa II. His full name is Julius Marcus Agrippa. He is son of, you could probably figure it out, Herod Agrippa I, which makes him also, therefore, the great-grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the the, uh, one who gave the order for all the babies to be destroyed and to be murdered in the vicinity of Bethlehem around the time of the birth of Jesus, okay? There's this Herodian dynasty, and there are Herods who come to the throne in succession. Sometimes it's not just necessarily father and son. Sometimes it's father and it's nephew and it's uncle. But among the Herodian dynasty, these are appointed individuals as part of the Roman Empire. So you have governors, that's different, and you have kings under the emperor Caesar. And so the Herods were Idumeans. Now, this is an important point to distinguish before, before I even read further. The Herods are Idumeans. Idumeans mean that they are from Edom, which means they are descendants of Esau. Now, if you remember the Jewish line, it was Abraham, his son Isaac, his son Jacob. But Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. The Jewish line came from Isaac's son Jacob. But Isaac's son Esau were the people known as the Edomites. So the line of Herod are Edomians. They're basically cousins of the Jews because they come from the line of Esau versus the line of Jacob, two brothers. However, Herod Antipatris I, who was the beginner of the Herod dynasty, who's not mentioned in the Bible, only his son Herod the Great is mentioned in the Bible and then other Herods. But Herod Antipatris I, who was the beginner of the Herodian dynasty, he converted to Judaism. Even though he's a cousin of Judaism, he converted to Judaism. They started practicing the feasts and the festivals. And the Herodian dynasty, when you read through history and read through the Bible, it's kind of sketchy. It looks like, are they really Jewish or they aren't? Well, they really weren't born Jewish, but they were proselytes to Judaism. And so they practiced Jewish rites and festivals and feasts and this kind of thing. However... They were not godly people. They, in fact, several of the Herodians were very murderous people. Obviously, Herod the Great, very murderous about the babies of Bethlehem. So they were Jewish in name only in terms of practice. They were not Jewish in terms of birth, and they were not Jewish in terms of their religious devotion. So they, they were a confusing group, but they are part of a dynasty that Rome has appointed to be kings over the province. And then you have governors who are ruling over smaller provinces. And so you have both of these going on. You have Festus the governor, you have Herod Agrippa. Uh, he witnessed the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem because he ruled during that time. He ruled much of Israel in 53 AD until his death in 100 AD. Now, Bernice, she's mentioned here. And it looks like when you read these two together that they are husband and wife. They are not husband and wife. They are brother and sister. Her full name is Julia Berenice. 
and uh, sometimes spelled just Bernice, but a lot of times with the extra E inserted, Julia Berenice. She's sister of Herod Agrippa II. She married her uncle with whom she had two sons, okay? Just trying to keep it all in the family. And um, she had an affair with Emperor Titus, who was 11 years her junior. Cougar, all right? So, so that's what she is. And the historian... Juvenal, who was a first century writer, said she and Herod Agrippa II had an incestuous relationship. We don't know for sure. He's not the only historical source that says that. But anyway, they appear often together. And here's one occasion. So here they come. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. And since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. This is pretty much a straight read, so I'm just going to read through much of this. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and has had an opportunity to defend himself, there's a polygia again, against their charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. So I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. When Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. And then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. And he replied, okay, tomorrow you'll hear him. All right? So you're in town and nothing else to do. Why don't we just interview this guy, Paul? So verse 23. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. And at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Okay, so it says they entered the audience room. This um, Bible scholars all are in agreement that this is probably the theater in Caesarea. This is the theater in Caesarea, and it it seats about 4,000 people. This is the ancient uh, theater that the Romans built there in Caesarea. And this is where Paul is going to be brought in front of these uh, leaders again to defend himself. So... Uh, Here he comes, verse 24, Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man, the whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome, but I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Now, now listen, pause for a moment. Festus is a, you know, he's, he's being a, a wise man here. I mean, it is, he's like, I'm hearing these charges. They don't really make sense. I don't think they're valid. I would probably even release this guy. They're going to say together in a moment, they go, you know, this guy should just be released. But now he's appealed to Caesar, so he's invoked his right as a Roman citizen. I got to send him to Rome. But he says, I'm kind of confused. Now I got to send him. I don't even know what to write down as his charge. So this whole thing is confusing. So he's like, how about you, King Agrippa? You help me understand what's going on here. Maybe together we can write down the charges. And so 
chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Now, Paul's going to speak from this point down through verse 23. And again, it's a pretty straight read. I'm just going to read it. This is, you know, you're going to hear again his testimony, but he uses various opportunities to share his story. So he's getting a chance to rehearse it everywhere he goes. We should rehearse and understand our own story that we can share when it's uh, when it's a good opportunity for us as well. So here he goes. Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. Verse 2. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. See, see, Paul knows that the line of the Herods, they are Jewish by practice, not Jewish by birth. They're acquainted. They're not religious people, but they're acquainted with Jewish customs and controversies. He says, therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Verse 4, the Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Okay, so the hope, of course, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. I'm on trial because of the resurrection of Christ. He says in verse 9, I too, this is my story. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. By the way, that phrase, I cast my vote against them, more evidence that he belonged to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. We talked about that last week. He was in a position of leadership. He voted for the death of Christians. Verse 11, many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice say to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent. That's a good word. Repent means to turn from the direction you're going and go the opposite direction. To repent and turn to God. And prove their repentance by their deeds. It is by 
your fruit that you will be known. Okay, the evidence of salvation is a changed life. It's not what you just say you believe. It's the way you live your life. That's the evidence of a changed life. He says, that is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. And so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Well, at this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. (laughs) Now, we know some people that have been so book smart. They're not really all that street smart, you know. And that's what, you know, they're basically saying, Paul, you know, because Paul is an educated man, very educated man in his day. Studied under Gamaliel, the great rabbi of Israel in the day. And Festus says, you're so smart. All your books, all your stuff, you've just gone insane with all of this. Well, he answers, he says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king, so he's like pointing out Agrippa, he goes, the king is familiar with these things. And I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. Okay, nothing deceptive here. It's all out in the open. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. All right, now notice, he's appealing to that entry point. He knows Agrippa's worldview. Agrippa's worldview, at least in practice, is Judaism. And so if he's familiar with the law of God, Paul wants to help make the connection between the word of God and his heart so that Agrippa would come to the realization, okay, these things, the prophecies of Moses and all the prophets leading up to the crucifixion of Christ, all this about Jesus, he is alive, this is the hope. And so Paul's like looking right at him, he's like, I know that you believe this. I know that you do. Well, Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian. Doesn't this sound like the person you work with? Right? You try to share about the Lord? Oh, come on. Seriously? Do you think I'm going to believe this? Really? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them, they left the room, and while talking with one another, they said, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Now, tuck that thought away because we're going to pick it up there next week. But please understand, back in chapter 19, the Lord had told Paul that he had to testify of him in Rome. That was seven years before this story here. Seven years earlier, God had said to Paul, you must testify of me in Rome. Sometimes how we get from point A to point B where God wants us to be, it's not always the straight path. For Paul, you know how he's going to get to Rome? On a ship, because he's been accused of something he didn't do wrong, to stand trial before Nero. But in the process, he's going to get to Rome. One way or another, God will accomplish His purposes in your life. may not always be a straight line and the easiest course, but God will always fulfill His promises in our lives, in His timing. 
The book of Acts is awe-inspiring as you see the Christian church take off. You see these frightened disciples who had scattered, rallied together, and then spread out beyond their borders. It takes great faith to do what these believers did, just like it takes great faith to spread the word today. How are you engaging with this series so far? Do you have any questions or concerns? If so, feel free to email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd be happy to hear your prayer requests too. Are you living in or visiting the Leesburg, Virginia area? We'd like to invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. You can find our service times and other information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and links to download our mobile app. Just look under the Teachings tab. Once again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing some things from the book of Acts that we hope inspire you. We look forward to you joining us again here on Cornerstone Connection. J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.